Oh, guys, thank you so much for being here. I want to say thank you to the band for leading us in the worship of the King. Man, thank you guys. That was awesome. Very, very moving. It has been a crazy, crazy weekend at my household. Um, and, and I have not got much sleep. And when I don't get much sleep, I get completely like weepy and whatever. So I'm going to try and navigate through this. I don't want to be the guy that cries all the time. I might be that guy. If you can just work with me with this, that would be fantastic. So guys, thank you so much for leading us in the worship of the King. You know what? I'm, kind of, I'm getting older, old, maybe just old stop there. Um, And uh, it's to the point where I have preached a number of sermons about Easter. And not just on Easter, because Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And one Sunday a week is not the only time that we talk about the resurrection of the dead. And you know what's interesting? I have never preached about Psalm 22 on Easter. So not only have I preached a lot of sermons on Easter, I've heard tons and tons and tons of Easter sermons, like my whole life. And you know what? I've got a bad memory, so I might forget this, but um, I don't think, you know, I stand to be corrected. I'm not sure that I've ever heard an Easter sermon on Psalm 22. Now, why is Psalm 22 so important? Well, because Psalm 22 is very, very connected to what happened on that first Easter. Psalm 22 is the psalm that starts this way. It starts with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you guys heard that before? Where where have you heard that before? Where does that sound familiar from? When Jesus died on the cross. One of the last things he said was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is important for us to remember because of the way that our minds work. You see, the way it turns out, some of us are really good at remembering things. Some of us, like myself, are not so good at memory, memory, remembering things or talking. Um, but what it turns out we are all very good at is we can remember things very, very well if we are able to connect something that we're trying to remember with something else. That's why I can walk into the kitchen and have no idea what I came in there for. Who's been there? Am I the only one? But someone can say something offhanded or just some word or phrase will pop up and completely unbidden, entire early 90s hip-hop songs will come rattling out of my, my brain. And you know what? It's not just me that that happens to. It's you guys that, ha- that, that do this too. So can we, can we do a little exercise together? Can we try something? Um, I got like two people that said yes. The rest of us, yes or no? Are we, are we good to do this? Yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, just making sure. I, I, it's Easter Sunday. I mean, you guys aren't the eight o'clock crowd, but um, <laughs> if I go, uh, if I go, dun 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 da 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 da, dun 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 da 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 da, some of you are feeling under pressure. <laughs> but if you're my age, you're ready to stop, collaborate, and listen. Okay. This is the response part of the morning together. We need, I need your help on this. If I go, um, if I go, sweet Caroline, you know this. What about, what about if I go, na, 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 hey, hey, hey. Okay, so, you, so isn't it interesting that, that there are neural pathways in our brain that something happens that, that, that is connected so that there is a connection in our minds between the na-na-na-nas and the goodbye. It's, it's amazing. 
You know what? The ancient Hebrew people, they didn't understand the neurology of it, but they understood very well how it worked. Did you know that in Jesus' day, almost every Jewish person would have had the whole book of Psalms memorized? Did you know that? The whole book. Also, in Jesus' day, they didn't have chapter and verse references. That's actually kind of a recent, moderately recent addition. So, if the rabbi was wanting to teach on, for example, Psalm 23, or maybe say they were sitting around um, the, the fire at home eating supper and they wanted to talk about Psalm 23, they wouldn't say, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23, A, only the very wealthiest people could pay someone to hand write out a copy of God's word. And B, they would, have, they would be like 23. What? There was no connection with Psalm 23. So if they wanted to talk about or, or teach about Psalm 23, they would say the first line of the psalm. So if they wanted to teach on Psalm 23, they would say, the Lord is my shepherd. And immediately, everyone who is listening would, would immediately have that, like, um, the sweet Caroline thing where he just has to say, the Lord is my shepherd, and boom, they would have, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads beside still waters. He restores my soul. They would have the whole psalm at their fingertips with just that one line. Something very akin to this is what's happening when Jesus is crucified. If you're here with us on Friday or Good Friday service, first of all, thank you for bearing with us as we packed everyone in like sardines. <laughs> it was fun. It was great. Uh, where we ended off was reading the story together of Jesus' crucifixion from the book of Matthew. And so this is where we're going to pick it up this morning. So if you have your copy of God's Word, would love for you to turn with me to Matthew 27. We're going to start in verse 32. Matthew 27, starting in verse 32. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, what you can do, if you have a mobile device, you can go to bluewaterbaptist.ca, and one of the, on the main page, there's a button that says something like worship in person. Tap that, and then on the next page, you'll be able to get all the sermon notes and everything that you'll need, all the scripture references, and everything will be there. Matthew 27, starting in verse 32, says this. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. 
And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until about three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, what does it mean? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah, because of the Eli part. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I always thought that what was going on there was that when that, that as Jesus was dying, he was paying for sin. 1 Corinthians 15 says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. And I thought what Jesus was doing was saying, guys, I am paying for your sin. I am becoming sin. And so because of that, the Father has to turn his back on me. The Father has to turn his face from me. That's what I thought he was saying. But that's not what's going on here at all. What Jesus is actually saying is the equivalent of everyone turn in your Bibles to Psalm 22. Because what's going on in Psalm 22 is very connected to what's going on right now. Okay, so what's going on in Psalm 22? What's Psalm 22 about? If you have your Bibles, flip over to Psalm 22. We're going to spend most of the rest of our time just walking through this psalm and seeing this crazy thing. As you're turning there, um, Psalm 22 was written by King David, the most important of the Jewish kings. It was written about a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. So keep that in mind. Psalm 22, starting in verse 1, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm. Not a man. Scorned by everyone. Despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what everyone said watching Jesus? Verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. Let me just pause there for a second. Another place in the Old Testament says that the Messiah, that not one of his bones would be broken. Interestingly, this 
passage about the Messiah, says that his bones will be out of joint. What could do that except crucifixion? You remember Neil mentioned just a couple minutes ago that, that <clears throat> in order to, to prove that he was dead, what did they do? They jabbed a spear up into his side. And what came out? Blood and water. He says, I am poured out like water. Continues, my heart is turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Um, you remember the part in Matthew that we just read where they got a sponge and put wine vinegar on it and held it up to Jesus. I always thought, I was always confused by this, because these, these Roman soldiers have not been kind in any way, shape, or form to Jesus at all. And yet, here's this moment where I was like, okay, like this is kind of strange that these guys are showing some little bit of compassion or mercy to Jesus is thirsty, and so they're giving him, like finding a way to give him something to drink. And I was always kind of confused by that. What I didn't understand is that that's not actually what was happening there. You see, um, part of every Roman soldier's kit, part of what, like, you know, the gear that he, was, that he had as a soldier was a sponge. And he would use that sponge to basically clean up. So... Um, if he went to the bathroom, he would use the sponge to wipe himself. If he, I mean, these guys were involved like all the time in executions and things like that. So getting blood and gore and bodily fluids all over their gear and themselves, it was the sponge that they would use to clean themselves up. And they would rinse it out, and then to sterilize it, they would take wine vinegar and, and soak it in wine vinegar. And so, no, those soldiers were not... Um, finding some way to be merciful to Jesus, what they were doing was quite literally the same, and I'm sorry uh, that this is so graphic, but, but what they were doing is quite literally taking a pile of used toilet paper, dumping vinegar on it, putting it on a stick and holding it up, going, you're thirsty? You're, are you thirsty? Suck on this a little bit. That is literally what they were doing. Shame and disgrace heaped upon Shame and disgrace. Verse 16 says, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. This is perhaps the most stunning line in the entire psalm. This psalm was written a thousand years before Jesus was crucified. This was before the Romans were a power. Friends, this was before crucifixion was invented. Before crucifixion was even invented, David said, you pierce my hands and feet. Why would he say that if this were not a prophecy of what was going to happen to the Messiah? Verse 17. He says, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. What? And by the way, um, the, the guys that we just read about in Matthew that cast lots for Jesus' garments, did you remember who they were? It was the soldiers. That was not Jesus' followers who were going, hey, we've read Psalm 22. Why don't we go ahead and cast lots for his garments so we can bring about the fulfillment of Psalm 22? No. These were guys who, had z who cared zero about the Jewish scriptures, who cared zero about Jewish prophecy. And it was them 
who cast lots for his garments a thousand years previously predicted. Verse 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly and help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth, the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. The thing that we need to understand about what we have read so far, that's not all of Psalm 22, but what we read so far is, is Hebrew poetry. Now, if, if you've been at Blue Water over the past little while, we have talked about this a number of time, times recently. I did not plan it like this. It just happened. The, the base style of Hebrew poetry was something called a chiastic structure or a chiasm. Now, for us, the base form of poetry for us is what? It's, it's rhyming the last word of, of a line in a stanza. So what we said last week is, uh, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are... Okay, so as soon as we hear those rhyming words, we go, oh, that's poetry. Well, as far as I'm aware, the Hebrews ancient Hebrews were not really interested in rhyming, but they had this thing called chiastic structure. It was the basic form of poetry for them. And what it was is they would, um, they would kind of bookend their ideas. So the first thing would line up with the last thing, the second thing with the second last thing, and so they would bookend these ideas. Now, what you need to understand about Psalm 22 is that what we've just read is a chiasm. So when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just like sweet Caroline... Just like that, they would have heard, verse 1, we'll throw this up on the screen for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? They would have made that connection, and just like sweet Caroline, it would have connected to its chiastically connected verse, which is verse 24, that says, He has not despised <laughs> or scorned the suffering of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. So what I'm saying is, I thought that Jesus was on the cross telling everybody, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thought he was telling everyone that the Father has turned his back on me. But he wasn't. For everyone who had ears to hear, what he was saying was, guys, it looks like the Father has turned his face from me. And it probably felt to him like the father had turned his face from, from him. But what he was actually saying for everyone who had ears to hear was he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. That's what Jesus was saying. And the reason that this is important for us, one of the reasons, is because there is going to come a time in our life where we are going to walk through a season, maybe you're walking through this season right now, where it's going to feel an awful lot like the Father has turned his face from you. It's going to happen to all of us. And when it does, 
what we need to remember is that although it might feel like that, that for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are Christians, the truth is that he has not despised. He has not turned his face from. And the way that you can know this, the way that we know this, the way that we are sure of this, is because Jesus died and rose again from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the mechanism by which we can know that God has not turned his face from us. Now, the important thing that we need to point out is that this is available, this is accessible to those who are Christians. And this is the part of the show that no one loves, no one wants to hear, no one wishes this was true. But the, and, and I would be the most hateful person in the world if I didn't specify that this is accessible only to those who have repented of their sin, who have turned away from their own way of living, and who have turned in faith to Christ. Because what he accomplished on the cross is actually applied to those who believe in him. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. None of those things are accessible to us. All we can do is receive that free gift. Have you received the gift that Jesus offers by faith? Turned away from living for sin and turned to Christ in faith? What better day to do that, if you have not already, than Easter Sunday, 2023? But for those who believe in Jesus, <clears throat> we can be sure, certain, without a, a, a shadow of a doubt, <clears throat> because of the death, burial, <clears throat> and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> The interesting thing, excuse me, sorry, the interesting thing is that unlike a lot of psalms that are built on chiastic structure, Psalm 22 doesn't end where we ended. So let's see what the rest of Psalm 22 says. Look at verse 25. This is so interesting. It says, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Do you remember what Neil said? All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. Those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is so strange because just a couple of lines ago, what we saw was that the, the, um, the, the psalmist was like, was, was feeling at least like the Lord had abandoned him. He was feeling like the, the uh, wild dogs and the, um, the, the wild animals that, that were a danger to him. He was feeling in danger. And now what do we see? Now what we see is that his suffering has meaning. That what he is walking through, although difficult, will result 
in the praise of the Lord. And people who are not even born yet hearing about him. I love that last line. He has done it. He has accomplished it. He has completed it. He has finished it. It is finished. Everything has changed because of the cross. Everything. Everything has changed because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus' suffering was not plan B. And yours is not either. I'm not promising you that becoming a Christian is going to result in an easy life. That's not the promise. The promise is not that God's going to fix everything for you in this life. That's not the promise. The promise, if you want to promise, is that in this world you will have, what did Jesus say? Trouble. But that that trouble has meaning. And the promise is that one day, we'll see Jesus face to face. And in that day, every tear will be dried. Every hurt will be healed. Every wrong will be righted. That day, all will be well. So until then, because dominion belongs to the Lord, because he rules over the nations, and because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the deposit guaranteeing that all of this is going to happen, until then, let's rejoice in him. Let's celebrate in him. Let's live for him. Can we, um, can we just kind of wrap up our time together with um, kind of our own version of the uh, Sweet Caroline thing? Can we do that together? Is that, is that all right? Andy kind of um, anticipated this earlier. Um, so w- when I say, he is risen, you're going to say, he risen friends, he's risen. He is risen indeed. He's risen. He is risen indeed. Let's go out and live like it. You're loved.